0: Hi, this is Anushka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So I've seen a lot of changes over the day. The changes of weather and changes of your mind, changes of the experience of the body. And it could be that at certain times you've wondered, uh, what am I doing here? Why did I choose to come here? And what does it have to do with what we're doing here, this practice, with anything that would be helpful to me in my larger life? So we've been doing a lot of different uh, practices, techniques to help you uh, be mindful of the different objects and experiences that we have as human beings. But I thought maybe it's helpful to take a step back to a little bigger picture of what we're up to here. So here we're practicing the Dhamma. You've heard us say this before and even use this phrase many times like take refuge in the Dhamma or... Uh, Sometimes you might have heard it said as dharma, and what does this really mean? So the dharma refers to the teachings of the Buddha. And the Buddha was a historical person who lived in 6th century BC, northern India. And he went on his own existential quest, you could say, his quest for understanding about life and suffering. And through spiritual practice, he was able to develop some understanding about the truth of the way things are. So that's really what Dhamma is. It's about uh, nature. It's about truth. So the helpful thing to remember in this is that even if it seems sometimes like, ah, these things that I'm talking about is complicated or this technique to follow the emotion, this seems hard. Like really what we're talking about is recognizing nature and actually recognizing ourselves as part of nature and aligning ourselves with this truth. So this dhamma is not like some esoteric thing that this guy cooked up in the forest and now you have to try and memorize it and uh, replicate it or something like that. Like it's actually something that's true about all of our lives and existences and the way things play out and the way that our human experience is constructed. And it's actually true now, even in the 21st century, in Northern California, uh, same as it was in 6th century BC in Northern India. So in our practice, we're tuning in with this different kind of knowing, you could say, So mindfulness, awareness, we're developing this different kind of knowing than what we might have cultivated through other kinds of school or education or training. And it's really a a unique way of knowing. It's a a different faculty, you could say. So if at any time you felt like, "Ah, I'm not good at this, I'm not getting it, don't worry about it because you're actually developing a very new faculty here, like a new ability. Since uh, I've been uh, teaching meditation now about uh, 10 years, I think, and um, maybe a little bit more, sometimes when I'm traveling to teach in other places, people will ask me, you know, on airplanes or things like that, like, oh, what are you doing? so I'll tell them I teach meditation, and many times people will say immediately, like, oh, meditation, yeah, I tried that, but I was no good at it, you know, I'm not good at it. And I always think that's a funny answer, because it's kind of like, what else uh, did you try once and just assume you were not good at, you know? Like, oh, basketball, I picked up the ball and threw it at the hoop, and it didn't go in, so I'm no good at it, yeah. <laughs> Golf, yeah, hit the ball, it didn't go in the hole, yep, I'm not good at it, I can't do it, you know. <laughs> Like, did you assume you were a meditation prodigy? Is that why you were <laughs> disappointed in it? <laughs> you know? So really for just about everyone, it's practice. You know, It's practice, and we're cultivating this very new and different way of knowing, of, of understanding. At the same time, though, it's helpful to recognize that there's a way in which we have developed understanding about nature, and we have actually learned to live in alignment with that which is in some way what you could say the Dharma practice is about. Uh, Recognizing ourselves as nature, understanding the way this nature works, and then living in alignment with that, which will be freedom from suffering. So a simple example of this that uh, we can perhaps all relate to is when you were a baby, you didn't understand about many of the laws of the physical world. So, uh, for example, little kids, babies don't know about the law of gravity. And sometimes you could actually see small children experimenting with this in their high chairs, you know. So much as we're trying to observe and understand how things work, you know they might be uh, sitting there and then, let's say they will uh, drop something from the high chair. They're like God oh, falls, right? So, oh, let's see. Like, what happens if you do it on this side? Like, oh, same thing happens, right? And then. What happens if you're not looking? Same thing happens. Right? So then after a while, you get the picture, right? You get the, the sense that, oh, if I'm going to try and uh, place something in midair, right, it's going to drop. And you don't actually have to understand even why that works. You don't have to know the mathematical formula. You don't have to know if somebody is running that or something like that. Uh, you, know, you just have to understand the general principle and then live in accordance with that, which most of us as adults have learned how to do. So thus, you know, when I bring in this glass of water, uh, I decide not to place it in midair because I have mastered this aspect of <laughs> natural law, and instead I place it down here. If I tried to place it in midair, it would fall and break and splash the people in the front row and there would be broken glass and a mess. So basically there would be this uh, aspect of suffering right, for myself and others from not living in accordance with this law of nature. And also, once having understood this law, this basic law, then if by chance it happens by accident, like you know, this thing falls, uh, I don't have to spend a lot of time fretting about it. So I'm not inclined to start thinking, like, why me? Why now? Why did it fall? You know. I've already understood this law. It's actually uh, impersonal. So I can just pick it up and uh, continue along without that added friction of the personalization or... Uh, this creation of a me around any of that. So most of us have gotten this law of gravity one, but there's other ones that we haven't quite gotten, (laughs) and that's really what we're here to understand. So we're practicing this faculty of, of mindfulness, of knowing in this different way through direct experience, and in some ways it's so simple and beautifully simple, you know, and yet also not necessarily easy, because for most of us, we are used to using other faculties. We are used to figuring things out by thinking about them. We are used to engaging in things through the process of uh, thought. And we are used to relating to things in this way as uh, myself and other. So one of the invitations in the practice, and one of the beautiful things for me about retreat is, like, you actually get to live this really simple life, and in some way you get to practice uh, or be with the very basic experience of um, being an animal. So we've we've cut away like so many of the things that mark our sophistication as humans. You know, your smartphones. Your most of you uh, renounced them, and uh, TV, and email, and even talking to people too much, except in the groups. Uh, so you don't have a chance to project out who you are, and the activities that you're doing beyond, you know, maybe your work meditation is slightly more complicated, like cutting vegetables or sweeping or something like that. But otherwise, it's really down to very basics of sitting and breathing, walking. Back and forth, going to the bathroom, eating and sleeping. Right. So that's kind of what's left <laughs> the schedule, right? And there's a way in which, like, it can actually be really fun, interesting, beautiful if you can kind of drop into that, like, allowing yourself to just be an animal, like a human animal, but really just an animal in some ways, like that no better, different than the turkeys and the deer and the lizards and, you know, who are, even though they don't have a schedule, more or less doing that same kind of thing, right? They're breathing, they're walking around, they're pooping and (laughs) sleeping, right? (laughs) So you can feel a kinship with all the forms of life here too, even though they're not on such a regimented schedule perhaps. We're all basically doing the same things, right? but you're tuning in with some awareness. You're tuning in with awareness and um, as we tune in, in as intimate and close a way as we can to these even very basic activities, things can be revealed. So this, laws of this nature can be revealed which are very helpful for us to understand, uh, to lead lives of greater peace, contentment and ease. So I know many of you, uh, particularly who have uh, first retreat experience, are asking, like, "Well, what does this walking back and forth have to do with this?" You know, at some point I thought it was a good idea to come on retreat. I signed up, but now, like, was, it, in the moment of having to do this over and over again, it's hard for me to remember. Right? What's the what's the deal with that? So there are these aspects of experience, of human experience, that we have overlooked, we don't know so well, you could say. Uh, Among them, for example, is that everything in our experiential life, everything that we call ourselves, everything that we call other in the environment is constantly changing. So everything is in flux. This is true of the experience of our body. This is true of the experience of the mind. It's true of the emotional life. It's true of the weather. It's true of uh, stuff in nature. It's true of patterns in politics. Everything is constantly changing. And there's actually no place to stand within this. From the moment that you took birth, then you're already changing and growing. You're getting older. You've gotten older even since this uh, talk began. Already, <laughs> and there's nothing you could do about it. <laughs> right. It's inevitable as gravity. It's just happening like that, unless you die, <laughs> right? And then that's another inevitability. Eventually, as animals in nature, this too will be our fate—the animal body that is. Right. So the animal body is subject to uh, getting older, subject to being cold, subject to being uh, wet, subject to. Uh, getting sick. And eventually, all of us, no matter how smart or wealthy or good-looking or famous or even highly realized, is gonna die. And the body will die just as it took birth, in this natural order of things. So in between what? Like we don't notice that everything changes. We don't notice this and so then we seek refuge. You know, we seek some sense of well-being, safety, security in this experiential world where everything is in flux. So when I say it like that, it sounds like not a winning strategy for well-being, right? To seek a place of stability in that which is inherently unstable. So we do this in small ways, we do this in big ways. You, know. you can kind of ferret this out in your um, strategies for well-being sometimes. If you ever hear or some echo of something that's like, when X happens, I will be happy. Right? Or sometimes it's like, when X stops happening, then I will be happy. So we have some script or some idea, like when this thing happens, when this thing stops happening, then I'll be happy, content, as if that will be the end of it. Now, in a smaller, kind of more microwave, you can see this playing out in retreat. So you're sitting there, and uh, there's an experience in the, your knee, for example, that's pain. And a part of you is uh, kind of trying to be with it, but then another part's like, when will this end? Like, when will this sitting end, make this go away? My meditation would be so good if not for this knee pain. So notice also if there's any time this thought occurs to you. Like, my meditation would be so good if not for this sleepiness. Meditation would be so good if not for this person breathing heavily near me. Meditation would be so good if not for the weather. It should be warmer. The first day was hot and now what? Cold, rainy. I thought it was going to be like paradise here I have to carry these giant umbrellas. Doesn't feel very spiritual, you know. (laughs) So we have these ideas and then we think like, oh, if I get this thing, then it'll be good. But notice that sometimes you actually get that thing and then it still isn't good. (laughs) Or it's good for a little while (laughs) until the next thing shows up that we need to change. We want to have this thing be better want to have this thing so it's it's endless really you know it's endless and we have this opportunity to see the changing nature of our experience to tune into this with awareness with mindfulness and we get this on an intellectual level like probably no one here disagrees with what I said so far intellectually the weather changes politics changes you get older right but do we actually live from that place Do we live with this integrated understanding of that? Do we understand what is true about who we actually are? Uh, What is true about the nature of the world? And what's the cause of happiness? What's the cause of suffering? So it's in this enterprise that our very simple engagement with our animal life in these very mundane activities they don't seem like they could lead somewhere uh, like awakening. Is actually the very path there. So we've talked a lot about this uh, continuity. You know, so continuity means like it's easy to be mindful for one blip of a moment. You know, if I said like, can you feel your hands right now? Boom, you could. But if I said, can you continue to feel your hands for the rest of the day? That would be harder. And it's okay, you don't need to fail your hands for the rest of the day. (laughs) Um, But there's something about developing this continuity that helps us to see these aspects of nature that we usually gloss over and overlook. So why don't we understand on a deep level that this body is always changing? Why don't we understand on this deep level that actually we're getting older and we're going to die? So part of it is because we haven't been paying attention in that way. You know, we haven't been uh, running the experiment in the diligent way I demonstrated throwing the cushions, right in this continuous way. And so here on retreat, we have these uh, ideal conditions, really, to get to see this, to get to see this and many other aspects of the truth of the way things are, which, if we can live in alignment with that, will bring so much ease and it will alleviate this level of unnecessary friction that's there in the way that we deal with our life, with our family, with our relationship to the world, ambition, everything really. So as we go along in the beginning, it's really helpful to be as uh, close as possible to experience. And we've unfolded the instructions about being close to the body, breathing and walking. And then we've included a little bit of being able to be present with emotions and thoughts also, which are a little bit more complex and slippery characters. But really it's helpful to keep grounded with the body you know, as you move about your day here. And we've talked about the sitting and the walking being equally helpful and the continuity with them. I'd even take that further to say uh, even include your time walking down to the dining hall, include the eating meditation, this uh, animal activity we do of taking in food, Uh, include going to the bathroom. It's actually there in the suttas. The Buddha encourages the uh, practitioners to... Uh, bring mindfulness to defecating and urinating, believe it or not. So you could notice if you go to the bathroom and if you close the stall, you feel like, phew, finally I don't have to be mindful. Like a few yeah. moments of, <laughs> right? If that's true, notice that because it could be that you're trying like a little bit too hard, you know, when you're outside of that stall. So it's helpful to notice this, like the, the level of effort we have. So notice when you're there alone doing something that you feel like you know how to do already, go to the bathroom, then uh, you're kind of relaxed, right? And, um, okay, what would it be if I'm this relaxed uh, when I'm walking, too? Right? What would it be if this relaxed when I'm just sitting and breathing? Or you can notice sometimes if you're sitting in, in um, you know, meditation for a while, and then the bell rings, and then you're like... So notice that in that shift from meditator to non-meditator, you know, like, like, what's the difference in that? Like, is there any unnecessary tension or effort that's going into practice versus the bell has rung, it's like time to relax. So there's a way in which everything that we're doing here is is quite natural. And it's aspects of this animal nature. And so there's a way in which we don't need to make it such a big deal. I know there's many things that have sort of gone, uh, that seem counter to that, like we said, you know, it is a big deal, come to the hall on time and here's the posture and the bell rings and all this stuff. But really within that structure, what we're doing is basically sitting here doing nothing and trying to pay attention and then walking back and forth doing nothing right? and trying to be present. Uh, and that's pretty much it on the schedule, right? like doing nothing in different postures. So when you look at it that way, it doesn't seem that hard, right? (laughs) Just continue to do nothing in different ways. (laughs) Try to be curious and be present as best you can, and then see what unfolds. But what happens is that our habits of prioritizing one thing or the other uh, take root, right? They assert themselves. So even something as simple as, okay, getting up and shifting to walking, putting your shoes on, putting your coat on. It's actually good to pay attention to that experience of these very simple things. Almost like it's this beautiful ceremony. Like it's the first time you've ever done this. Uh, Sometimes you could play with being like, oh, this is like an alien who has taken human form. There's like some movies that in which this is the plot: aliens have taken human form. Like, oh wow, what's it like to drink water? Like, oh look, got different fingers, appendages, and it's wet. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, like this, if you uh, kind of play with it in this way, it's it makes the practice really interesting and fresh. And there are all these moments in between that we skip over because there's a part of us as adults who has mastered these very basic animal activities that has this attitude of like, I already know. You know, I already know how to do this. I know what this is gonna feel like. I know what broccoli tastes like. Uh, I know what it's like to flush a toilet. I I don't need to pay attention to putting on my jacket. You know, all this stuff. So notice if there's that attitude of like, I already know. And it's such a drag when that attitude is there. (laughs) You know, it makes it very boring. (laughs) The mind of like knowing everything. Maybe you can compare this to if you've ever had a conversation with someone. Could be a teenager, but could be anyone who... Uh, whose attitude is like, I already know exactly what you're going to say. You know? So you try to have a conversation, you try to relate to them, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's not a very satisfying uh, relationship or conversation. right? So notice this when your mind is doing this with the walking. Like, oh, I've got to walk back again. I already know it. I've already been there. <laughs> I've already seen that side. Nothing new over there. You know, right? <laughs> Oh teenage mind, okay, here it is. <laughs> okay, let's just feel what it's like. It's good. yeah. So there's a lot of working with the mind too, you know, playing with the mind, playing with our attitudes, seeing it arise in this way, but um, really being interested in this, this form of our animal life yeah. I keep saying this partly to um, sort of demystify and um, Maybe take us all down a peg <laughs> from you know, how special we think we are as humans. And there's something very um, poignant about connecting with this animal life. So, for example, even uh, this afternoon, this evening, uh, when it started to rain, right? So you may or may not have been prepared for that. Maybe you had stuff, maybe you didn't, and... Yeah, so suddenly all the animals are uh, cold and afraid of being wet. Right? This herd of animals, that's true. So then the animals seek shelter under umbrellas and corridors and things like that. Right? Just as all the animals were doing. You, know, you didn't see the turkeys out too much. The birds were flying under eaves. You know. And you can notice the temperature. You know, notice with some tenderness the fragility of our human body. If it gets too hot, we're uncomfortable. If it gets too cold, we're uncomfortable. If we're too full, we're uncomfortable. If we're thirsty, we're uncomfortable. If we're hungry, we're uncomfortable. And we can actually only live within very uh, narrow confines of many different conditions of humidity, of air pressure, of temperature, you know as humans. and So much of the stuff that we do, so much of the stuff around here is actually oriented towards uh, helping this be inhabitable. So even things as simple as like when you take off your coat, you put on your coat, you put on your shoes. It's this aspect of protecting this very vulnerable animal body from the cold, from sharp things on the feet, uh, from wetness. Now, if you have had to live outside or, you know, if you've been camping or something, you get in touch with this much more. But uh, if you've led a life that's, uh, you know, being indoors and not having to tune into that that much, we really can gloss over that. The fragility of the body, the way in which the body itself is like actually so tenderly vulnerable to the elements, to being injured, uh, to life itself that is not in our control. So as we recognize this, we're recognizing this aspect uh, that the Buddha called dukkha, so this uh, unsatisfactoriness, this unreliability. You know, really there's a poignancy about the way in which this body is vulnerable to being hurt, uh, to being uncomfortable. And we kind of take for granted, but there's really no stopping point with that too. So you notice that it's like, oh, okay, uh, I'm too hot, so I take off my jacket. Then I'm too cold, so I put my jacket back on. I'm too I'm thirsty, so I go drink some water. Then I'm full, and I have to go to the bathroom. There's it's constant, you know, need for replenishment and um, contact in this way also with all of the elements of nature. So tuning into this and very like detailed and intimate way, allowing yourself to become close to this aspect of our life that we don't usually pay attention to. And paying attention to specifics of it. So what's the texture of the water when you wash your hands? You know, what does that feel like? What's the temperature? What's the, the temperature of the faucet handle? Is it cold or hot? What does it feel like to pull it down? Is it heavy? Is it light? So it's actually this kind of thing that is our opportunity for practice on retreat, all of it. And this is also what's meant by continuity. So really tuning in and, and being present with all of the details, the myriad details like this. And then as the specifics of all these details are revealed, these kind of universal qualities of impermanence And of the unreliability can be revealed within that too. This this faculty of of mindfulness of knowing I said is a a different kind of is a different kind of knowing. It's a different way of being. There's something sort of mysterious about the unfolding. You know, we're cultivating many different qualities here in retreat. Uh, We're cultivating a collectedness of attention, focus, concentration. And we're cultivating this uh, mindfulness, which has become kind of the star player on the uh, team of uh, many of the qualities of mind that uh, come together in the practice. So among the qualities of this mindfulness is the ability to meet any experience. And it's helpful to remind yourself of that. Because it's very easy for us to consider our practice to be good when it's pleasant, uh, when it's going according to our ideas of what would be uh, good meditation, and then to consider it bad when there's something unpleasant happening, like pain or boredom, sleepiness. So remember, mindfulness can meet any experience. And there's a way in which it's particularly helpful for us to tune in to all different experiences. Another thing that we start to learn as we are tuning in with some continuity to experiences is that it is actually difficult for us to be with a wide range of experiences. So for most of us, you know, we like it when it is uh, a certain way and we don't like it when it is another certain way. We like certain emotional experiences and we don't like other ones. So we've actually lived our life in this way where we've limited uh, what we're able to be present with. And when something comes up that's unpleasant to us, we kind of have to put on blinders. It's like a pleasant, pleasant, okay, works for me, something I believe about myself, and then like, oh, something that is not in accordance with my ideas of myself, boom. Pleasant, pleasant, okay. Boring, boom. Right. Okay, reasonably pleasant. Very pleasant. Oh, too pleasant, boom. Right. I'll use this prop here. For a moment. So also as we uh, as we practice we, and we discover this, we start to learn like, oh, there's certain experiences that are difficult for us and in some ways like we have to push them away. So... Experiences of pain, like let's say this is the experience of all of our body and mind. Experience of pain comes up and we don't like that, we don't know how to be with that. So we either have to space out or push it away or change our position so that there's no pain. Right? So pushing that away. Maybe there's certain emotional experiences we're okay with, but other ones we're not. So, you know, we've all had conditioning. Oh, I shouldn't feel sadness. Sadness comes, out, I have to push that away. Jealousy comes up, I have to push that away. Uh, Some sexual feelings come up, push that away. Memories of something that happened when I was in fourth grade, push that away. Different thoughts that indicate that I'm not as smart as I thought I was, push that away. So you see where this is going, it's like you end up living in this little crunched up tiny little box here, bouncing off these walls. And when th- anything else happens, you have to like fold it over. Right? So it's not a very relaxed, spacious way of being, is it? You know, there's not a sense of ease and well-being in that. So first level with mindfulness, as we start to, to see the ways in which we're trying to close to these experiences of the body and the mind, is actually seeing like, oh, can we be present with this? Can we know this? Is it possible to not push this away? And as we expand our ability to be, particularly with suffering, but... Also, even with some other kinds of experiences, neutral experiences that are boring or intensely pleasant ones, we actually gain back all of this, right? So then we're able to be with the entirety of this body-mind experience. We don't need to push that away for ourselves and then also as we gain some comfort and okayness with being with that in ourselves, we also don't have to push that away in someone else. So someone else can come to us and they're sad or they're in pain or they're feeling jealousy and we have some ability to uh, relate to them in that state too. So it helps with uh, compassion for others as well. Now eventually there's another level in which we start to discern something about all of these, these aspects. So particularly as we delve into the aspects of mindfulness of the mind, which we began to touch on here today, emotions and thoughts and this has to do with actually discerning uh, what are the skillful helpful thoughts and emotions that arise and what are the unskillful unhelpful ones and tuning into that and learning from that as well but level one which is mostly in the first couple days of retreat is just like can I be present with whatever it is that's showing up here and can I know it for what it is and some of that is revealing also that uh, things that I thought were not okay are actually okay. And things that I thought were okay are actually suffering. So here we get a chance to see through some of the ways that we have assumed that life is. Assumed that experience is. And see what's actually true. So a simple place you could uh, play with this too is when you go down to the, the dining hall for your Eating meditation, aka lunch, breakfast, evening meal, and you can notice like at that that time maybe you're not as uh, you know diligently practicing, but you will be after this talk, I'm sure, right? So then you're kind of like oh, broccoli. I hate broccoli. I'm not going to take any of that, or like, oh, I like that thing. Let's take some of that, right? Uh, so you have these assumptions in some way, and. Um, Mindfulness also can have a quality of openness that's helpful. So you might want to challenge yourself sometimes. You know, if you have developed a prejudice against broccoli, for example, like maybe that was one broccoli in the past. What if you were open to broccoli? Like, try this broccoli. See what this experience is like. Right. Or maybe there's something that you think that you really like, but you actually try it, and then it's like, oh, actually, yeah, I thought I liked this. I assumed I liked this, but uh, yeah, it actually doesn't agree with me you know maybe i'm even like allergic to it but i didn't even uh, appreciate that before so really being curious there's there's a lot that can reveal itself even on this sort of mundane level of uh, of life that uh, is freeing for us to take our own prejudgments with a grain of salt you could say our ideas about how things are You can hear the frogs and some insects maybe outside. I can allow this to remind you they're calling you back to nature. You can remember this when you go outside and see the rain and the water. Uh, this water is what we drink, what we bathe with, which makes up a lot of our body. So in this way too, it's there reminding us that we're part of nature. In connection with the air all around. Something we're all swimming in. We're like a fish in an aquarium. You know, all of us are breathing the same air. And we're doing this with the plants around that are breathing in opposite from us we're breathing in oxygen, breathing out carbon dioxide, and the plants are breathing in that carbon dioxide, breathing out oxygen for us. And then the sense of the earth, feeling the sense of the solidity of the earth. And remembering you can always touch the earth, feel your groundedness through that. So the minerals of the earth are also there in our body and the hardness of our teeth our bones, and our skull, and all of this, part of nature, which eventually will also return to nature at the end of our days. So, This aspect of reminding you that you're gonna die uh, is actually considered a skillful means in Dharma practice. And mundane, modern American society is not considered (laughs) a good thing to keep talking about. But here it's not to make you depressed or worried in some way, but actually just to recognize, yeah, this is true about our lives. It's been true about everyone who's already lived and it's true about uh, all of us. So if that's true, if everything is changing and if we don't know when the end will come, then uh, how do we want to relate to this moment? Uh, Can we relate with the sense of being wholeheartedly present, we've talked about? And what would it be like if we were able to cultivate that here and bring that back to our lives as well? How would that transform our relationships? How would that transform our work, our family, our neighborhoods? Our country? So we say sometimes these things like, uh, we practice not just for ourselves, but for the benefit of all beings. And this is one way this is true. If there's anything that's needed in our world now, it's more people who are wholeheartedly awake, more people who are tuned in, who understand the ways in which we're connected to each other, and who can act in accordance with that. So even though sometimes it may be uh, challenging for sure, I want to appreciate you for coming to the end of your second full day of practice and retreat and congratulate you. And also encourage you. What you're doing here is very worthwhile uh, for your own transformation and also for our world. So thank you. So I think we'll have a time when you can uh, stretch if you need to. Okay, stretch if you need to, and uh, (laughs) next period we're gonna do some walking practice too. So walking practice, you can do it upstairs, you can do it downstairs, you can do it outside. Uh, as you wish and yeah see if you can play with this if you have never walked on this day at this time in this weather in this body so what's that like now yeah. and notice if the mind that assumes it knows is there you can uh, notice that but don't be ruled by that and uh, enjoy your walking practice thank you